Hello ninjas and ninjets and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen, Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja and best-selling digital marketing author. This episode is completely different to anything that we've done before. In this episode, Loz and I are talking about the future of the internet, the future of digital marketing and the future of what businesses are going to need to do to succeed online. So we go through everything from voice search to VR to AI to the future of SEO to ad blockers, talking about what's coming up and what businesses need to do to prepare so to make sure that they are well positioned for the future and where we're going. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Before we get started, I also want to mention that if you have any awkward digital marketing questions that you've never had a, a proper answer to, we're going to be recording another episode of the Awkward Digital Marketing Questions Answered podcast. In the previous episode, we looked at questions like, is all SEO spam? Why are so many digital marketing companies a complete ripoff? Questions like these. So if you have any questions along those lines, which you just can't get a straight answer from anywhere else, then you can send them to us on Twitter by tweeting at Exposure Ninja. You can send them to us over Facebook, either by messaging us or posting on our wall if you just search for Exposure Ninja on Facebook, or you can email them to us, email support at ExposureNinja.com and make sure you have a little for the attention of Tim. So send those questions over and we'll include them in the uh, in the next episode. Anyway, without further ado, enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Exposure Ninja podcast. This episode is going to be a little bit different to most of them. In today's episode, we're going to be speculating about the future of the digital marketing industry. So if you're one of those people that's very concerned about the next quarter, you know, the next quarterly update, then this might not be the podcast for you. If you're interested about where your business might go in five or 10 years time, then, then this is the kind of stuff we're going to be talking about today. There's a few big questions that I'm going to be asking, uh, putting to Tim today, and we're going to see what we can kind of come up with about some areas where um, digital marketing might be going soon. The first question, Tim, that I want to ask you about is just around SEO. So as you're well aware, you've obviously highlighted this yourself a, a whole bunch of times, SEO has changed massively over the sort of past 10, 10, 15 years, you know, it started with things like keyword stuffing and, and link farms and all that kind of stuff. And and now we're it's much more focused around um, you know, new and original content and authoritative link building. I just wondered, you know, what do you think is going to happen to SEO in the next five years? And, you know, can it change further, you know, from in, informative content or is there anywhere we can go with it? Or, or maybe uh, is SEO is SEO finally going to die out as we are? Uh, we just have to accept that, you know, the only thing you can be doing is is content and that's about it. Yes, it's a really good question. The When I'm talking about this in, in a seminar or whatever, my definition of SEO is arranging the information about your business online in a way that makes a search engine want to rank you highly. So a search engine, if we think about the purpose of a search engine, it's just there to serve up useful results for a visitor. And that search engine is always going to have criteria that it needs to use in order to serve up what it would consider to be the most useful results, whether the search engine is a Google desktop search or a mobile search or whether it's a Siri search or Amazon Alexa search or whatever, the search engine is always using criteria to sort through all of the possible results for that query and and serve up something useful. So as long as it's using criteria to make those judgments, doesn't really matter what the criteria are, there are going to be people like us optimizing different businesses 
to, to meet those criteria. So I don't, I don't think SEO is, is any deader now than it was in 2010, right? It's just in 2010, you could mimic usefulness, you could, you could game the system relatively easily, whereas now actually it's becoming harder and harder to persuade Google to show a site which isn't genuinely the most useful site for, for, that, uh, for that particular query. So I think we'll continue to see a march towards the best websites winning and SEO will just become more about making websites the best and most useful resources rather than uh, trying to gain particular metrics and I guess trying to persuade a search engine that, that a site is the most useful, even if it maybe isn't. I think I think that's a really interesting point that you hit on that um, SEO has kind of changed and has become a lot more a lot more difficult in some respects. So you know something like you know keyword stuffing is is pretty easy to understand and pretty easy to do. Whereas the the kind of things that people are doing now in order to to get to tell Google give Google some indication that this is a good page to be ranking for for this search is um, is a lot harder to do nowadays. Do you think that um, you know? the SEO will kind of gradually become a, a thing that only only large companies can do as it becomes more and more technical? Or, or, or do you think it's always going to be sort of accessible for for kind of new businesses like you know some of, some of the clients that we deal with? Do you think that there are always going to be people that are able to start afresh on get a ranking on Google? Or, or will there become a point where that just won't be possible anymore? No, I, th- I think for sure. I think the internet is the greatest level of playing, is the most level playing field, I think. That, that obviously a large company has a significant advantage in in the size and the resources it can put behind a website. But, you know, Google is just trying to reward the best and most useful websites. And there's nothing to say that that has to be from a, a large corporation, right? I mean, we're talking to um, Aaron from Loud Online. He's talking about the fact that these large corporations, they can't move with the speed that, that smaller businesses can. They can't come up with a content strategy as quickly as a smaller company can. If there's someone who wants to rank for a particular phrase and they just lock themselves away for a month and write the most amazing informative guide on that particular topic, get it up online, get a bunch of links to it, you've got a real shot of ranking for that. And, and that's something that a larger company would have to go through like a three, six, 12 month approval process for before they can even allocate some of their huge resources to it. So I, I don't think that we'll we'll see a, a move to just large corporation sites ranking. And actually, I also think SEO isn't necessarily more difficult today. I think in the early days, Google and other search engines were so imperfect that they could be gamed. But in order to game them, it, you know, you had to have a real kind of real good technical knowledge and making some technical mistakes on your site could lead to, you know, hardly any visibility at all. Whereas now... We're seeing Google doing things like populating meta descriptions when it doesn't find one, you know, stuff like that. So Google is actually trying to help, uh, I think, SEO to become less reliant on the technical skill of the website owners and more focused on just the quality of the website. So I think it's it's got harder in some respects. You know, you can't just go to Fiverr and, and get a bunch of links for f- $5. But um, in some ways, it's got easier because all we really need to do is focus on quality and then a small amount of, of technical SEO, and, and we should be good to go. No, that's a really interesting point. So so in some ways, SEO has become easier for people that don't have that sort of technical background, because like you say, as long as they're producing content that people want to read, um, you know, something that people are, are actually searching for on Google and actually want to find, 
then they've got a good chance of ranking because Google does the the technical stuff for them. So yeah, no, I think that's a, a really fantastic point. The last thing I just want to ask you about in regards to SEO, there's a recent Forbes article which said that internal SEO or on-site stuff accounts for around 15% of a good SEO process. And then the rest is all the external stuff is is getting links and that kind of thing. Do, do you think that that's, that's kind of accurate, I suppose, is the first question. And then to, to follow up from that, do you think that SEO in the future might kind of move away from from that kind of technical stuff and and purely become digital PR work and and digital PR will basically be the only form of SEO that exists. Do you think that's a possibility? A part of me really hopes so. You know, I absolutely hate that a website is judged on stuff that most website owners don't understand. Like, why should the success of a website be related to the optimization of page titles? when those are such a, there's such an imperfect quality or relevance indicator. Some perfectly good websites have really under-optimized page titles, which really impacts their ability to rank. That just seems crazy, right? So if we're talking about how Google started off very imperfect and is gradually becoming more and more, I guess, quote unquote, intelligent or reasonable. Yeah. I mean, I've got a perfect example for you, just so that people know exactly what we're talking about. Example of a website that I was looking at today. So this guy had written a really in-depth, awesome article about some of the most common misconceptions and misunderstandings in his industry and about, you know, what the actual situation is, about what the truth is. The title of that page was Common Misconceptions. (laughs) Um, So for him, that made perfect sense. He's just like, well, I know that you're already interested in in my industry. Um, I won't say away industry in case um you know you don't want to name and shame anybody this oh, guy man. Just concerned that um you know people want he wants people to know about these common misconceptions and the article was fantastic there's so much detail in there you know i'm not exactly excited about it but i was having a quick read through and but yeah that that title common misconceptions immediately Google just doesn't know what to do with that. And so, yeah, all of that um, amazing content that he'd written was kind of wasted in a way. Yeah, or at least it's a a heavy disadvantage, right, against someone who understands, you know, technical SEO. So Google always says that it wants the most high quality and relevant websites to win. Well, it's not necessarily true. At the moment, it's it's still kind of rewarding technical proficiency in something very specific, um, which I don't, yeah, I, I think over time we'll start to see SEO and um, just just promotion and general marketing. We'll, we'll start to see them blur, right? For me, it should be possible to do really good quality digital PR, really good quality, just general online marketing. So having active social profiles, um, having lots of good quality content, and that should be enough to get it ranked. At the moment, we're still in a place where Technical SEO is super important, has a measurable impact on ranking fairly quickly. These things are flawed. And, and I think given two, five years or whatever, I think we'll start to see things change. I'm just kind of building on that. One thing I know that Google sort of has has started to increase as a as a ranking factor is social metrics. So so shares on Facebook and and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. You know, if you if you're, if people are sharing that content and talking about that content and you know whatever else, liking it plus wanting it, then then Google sees that as a, as an indication that this is you know decent content. And yeah, so so I kind of wonder if that's going to be kind of the way that things are going to go. We're just going to have content that's good because people are talking about it and it's not going to be less important you know where those links are on the internet as long as people on uh, on social media care about it 
Yeah, and uh, Google has been less inclined to use social metrics as a as a ranking factor for for years like since the days of matt cuts back in 2012 it was like well google doesn't really look at social metrics but i think you know as as we spend more and more time online and i I think also that there are different ways of different ways of representing authority than just you know using links and and i think we will you know google cannot ignore it or if google continues to ignore it or not treat it with the proper priority i think we'll see other search engines start to use social metrics more and more heavily and those might even serve up more relevant results i mean you know things like image search right if you if you have a video and it has a a brand in that video why should that not count towards a website's ranking for that brand because that is essentially a feature right it's like a citation it's a mention when someone's just, you know, casually talking in an email, should that about a particular brand, should that not impact the the site's ranking on Google? So I think there's a bunch of other metrics at the moment, which are, which could be ranking signals and popularity signals, but which aren't because whatever Google's not indexing Snapchat or, you know, whatever, it's not looking at pictures that are being posted on Facebook and stuff like this. So I think there's a bunch of stuff there that's not really being used. We're still relying predominantly on links, which it's a bit like technical SEO. It's the best thing that we've got for now, but five years time, 10 years time, I think there's going to be other things that will probably want to be added in there as well. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty much the answer that the kind of conclusion we've got to come to, isn't it? That, you know, these other factors could be could be big, but at the moment they're, they're not huge. Do you, I mean, so the conclusion, do you think that the, the conclusion we can really take from this then is just that, you know, original content, useful content is always going to be king? Or, or do you think there's any other um, sort of lessons that we can take from that, that we should be kind of focusing on in terms of a, a longer term SEO strategy? I think SEO will always exist. As long as there is a search engine, there will always be optimization for that search. It's never going to perfectly mimic you know, natural popularity of, of a business or natural authority of a business. So there's always going to be a technical component. There's always going to be looking at the ranking algorithms for whatever search there is and making sure that you're, you know, you're meeting the, the right criteria. So I don't think that that is ever going to change. I don't think quality of content and making the most useful and interesting stuff for your market is ever going to change. I don't think changing your website so that it's really user friendly and gives people the information that they need as quickly as possible and helps them get closer to their goals. I don't think those things are going to change. So I think as long as any SEO strategy or any any marketing work that people are doing is focused in those areas, I think they, they should be good long term. Awesome. That's a, that's a good, succinct answer. So um, we got there in the end. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's move on to the, the next topic of discussion. So I want to talk a little bit about, yeah, advertising. Um, so so pay-per-click ads. And the, the first kind of thing that I want to ask you about is, um, so ad blocking um, seems to be coming up in the news quite a lot. Do you think that ad blocking is going to have an effect on, you know, people that are getting a significant volume of their traffic from, from PPC, you know, rather than, um, you know, others, other traffic sources? Um, do you think it's going to have an effect on people that is running those campaigns? Or, or do you think it's just something for the people that are, you know, ad- showing these ads on their website? Or, you know, do you, who do you think this is going to be a problem for? Uh, and I suppose the follow up question is, is this going to be a big problem? I think the bigger problem with PPC and paid advertising around the internet in total is, is like a lack of, of targeting and relevance. So, 
it, from my perspective, companies like Google and Facebook have enough information about us that we should never see ads which aren't relevant to us, right? And so let's say Google knows which websites we've been on. So we're always going to see websites from those advertisers, which, you know, the, the, the sites that we've been on. So we've got the relevance thing. Same with Facebook. Let's say that Facebook eventually advertisers do a really good job of it. And we're just seeing ads that are relevant. I don't think people should want to use ad blockers. The ads should be compelling enough that people actually want to see them. And I think we will get there. Here's why I think that, right? As we see the popularity of of platforms like Facebook increase, what we've got to remember at the moment is that big brands aren't really using Facebook that much. They're still pumping money into ad media like TV, billboards, and radio, magazines, stuff like that. As soon as that budget starts moving onto Facebook, the cost per click on Facebook is going to shoot up massively. This is going to immediately price out a whole bunch of ineffective advertising. So imagine if you were paying, say, LinkedIn money for Facebook ads. So imagine if you had to pay six or eight dollars per click for your Facebook ads. Well, all of a sudden, most Facebook advertisers would just have to stop advertising. And who would be left? would be the people who are really, really, really good at targeting and had really, really, really interesting and compelling ads. When we get to that stage, those ads are going to be useful and quality enough that I think we'll get to a stage where people actually want to go on Facebook to see ads. I think that ads will be indistinguishable in the value that they provide than the content that they're on that page for already. So I think the ban- the, the barrier is going to raise massively for advertisers. I think anyone who's running PPC is going to have to step up their game. But this thing about ad blockers, for me, it's just a sign that ads haven't been targeted enough, right? Anytime I see ads for like, you know, I'm on Instagram and I see ads for these like slot machine games or whatever. Oh, I don't play that stuff. Why do I ever have to see that? I see stuff for businesses, which is just not relevant to us. Why should I ever have to see a non-relevant ad? It's it's just completely ridiculous. There's enough data about me, you, our browsing preferences, our likes, our dislikes, our demographics. There's enough data out there that the right person should be able to give us a really good ad, which has like freaking 10% click-through rate and 100% conversion rate because it's so, so useful, right? We all, we all want to buy stuff. You want to buy climbing and gaming stuff. I want to buy cat stuff, whatever. So why aren't those advertisers advertising to us? I think it's just because the ads at the moment are still too cheap. So people who are running crap ads are able to get away with it. I think that will completely change as more of these big corporations start piling in and saturating the market. Yeah, and I think that's that's a, a really interesting take on it. So, I mean, I think we kind of touched on it last time we talked about this this topic, didn't we? Because we said that the question at that point was, you know, why why do people hate advertising so much? Why do people have a problem with it? And yeah, it, it comes back to exactly the same thing. People don't necessarily hate advertising. What they what they hate is adverts that are, are not interesting or relevant to them. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that those ads aren't interesting and relevant to to other people. It just means that it, this is not the right person. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's really really important that targeting is a is a huge thing that could be a lot better. But at the same time, I do kind of find it amazing the amount of interests that exist on Facebook that it's not kind of possible to to target people to the level that that you and I both want. 
I yeah, I mean, I I think I think maybe over the next kind of five five ten years, maybe Facebook will get better at that stuff. But I do wonder whether or not it would ever be possible to be in a situation where they they know you well enough to 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 kind of target those ads that they know you're going to be interested in. I I just think you know, let's say that go compare right with the annoying singing idiot. Why, if if they were running on Facebook and they were paying six dollars per click, they wouldn't run that trash right they would be focused on ROI. So all of a sudden, the annoying ads and everyone's, well, when, when you ask people about advertising, they tend, you know, oh, it's all that this annoying stuff. It's not relevant. You know, it's whatever. None of that stuff will exist anymore because they won't be able to afford to run it because it's rubbish and it doesn't even work. The ROI is horrific. So I think we'll, we'll start to see all of that stuff die. I think you're completely right. When people say they hate advertising, they just hate poorly targeted ads. If they're looking at ads for stuff that they really liked, and it was that you know their favorite companies showing them the latest news about their coolest products and giving them offers which are actually relevant for stuff that they probably would have bought anyway well they're going to you know they're going to be all over that stuff they're going to turn their ad blockers off so they can see that stuff yeah it's just uh, for me it's it's just it's a signal of something else which i don't think will will happen to uh, which which i don't think will will have uh, this problem and i think facebook you know look at how young facebook is as an advertising platform look at how much like how far it's come in, in you know, just since a year ago or two years ago, whatever, we can see that, you know, they're working so hard on this. Look at the money they're going to make over the next 10 years from that ad platform. There's no way that they're not going to get this righter than anybody has ever got an advertising platform right. So I have every faith that we'll be able to target people as much as we want. <laughs> Um, one thing that is quite fun to do, you can go to facebook.com forward slash ads forward slash preferences, and that will show you all of the interests that, that it, is, it associates with you. Um, so a lot of people think that it's kind of just based on the pages that you've liked, and, and um, but that's not necessarily true. So, so lots of interactions that you have with different content around Facebook will, will kind of uh, culminate in Facebook deciding, yes, this is something that people are interested in. Going over to that page is is quite funny because some of the stuff on here is is absolutely just so bizarre that it, it, it it's it's really weird because I can see see here things like Ramstein, Resident Evil, Disturbed, Nine Inch Nails. Yep, these are all things that I really really like definitely. And then you've got things on here like the Grammy Awards, no interest whatsoever. The Brit Awards, personal computer as an interest, entertainment as an interest. And then five different Michael Jackson um, things on here. And I know for a fact that I'm not interested in any of those things. And I have no idea why Facebook thinks I am. So they've definitely got a long way to go to, to get to this like utopia where they only think they only know the things that I'm interested in. But yeah, I would encourage everybody to go over and take a look at what things Facebook thinks you're interested in because it is quite fun. Yeah, it's, it's got a bit of a way to go until it's perfect. But compare this to an advertiser who is looking at the demographics watching a particular TV program, right? And what do you know about someone who's watching Made in Chelsea? Well, judging by the ads that were on during Made in Chelsea last night, not a whole lot. We know that there's probably a bunch of females. We know that they're probably teens to 30s, but that's pretty much it. So even though there's very imperfect data compared to other ad platforms out there, it's still like way ahead. <laughs> And it will only get better, won't it? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the thing, isn't it? There's a, there's a lot of 
specificity in there you know that that you've that you've got so so you can target a lot more precisely than something like tv ever could i mean one thing that i think that is crazy that facebook doesn't seem to do with its interest targeting is um you know just just a system like reddit has where the older something is then you know the the less of an effect that it has so it would just slowly time out old interests over time if you go on this page you can see stuff that you know can you can figure out why it is that that is that that facebook considers that an interest but it's something that you're interested in five years ago and facebook still thinks that you're obsessed with it and it's just like well people people change and, and you need to understand that there's a lot of work to go i think um i would i would love to live in your utopia where where everybody gets ads that are just only relevant to them but based on what i've seen i i i'm not sure that it's going to happen in the next five years um oh th- mate five years give it to you maybe we'll take a bet on that yeah let's do it let's do it And I mean, the other thing that I want to just touch on just just before we move on to the next question, the the concept of banner blindness, which I'm, I'm sure is something that you've heard of, but just in case there's people listening out there that aren't sure about it. So banner blindness is the idea that, um, you know, banner ads at the top of a web page, um, people basically immediately block those out of their mind. They they Their eyes just gloss over and they don't even see that before they scroll down and they read, um, you know, the latest article on the Daily Mail or whatever it is they're up to. And, you know, banner blindness is, is a, you know, a real documented thing that people do. They just, they just don't even see those adverts. Um, but obviously, you know, those people, those advertisers out there are paying for those impressions. So I wonder, yeah, what, what, what you kind of think, um, if there's any solutions to that, if you think there's, yeah, if this is a big problem or if you think this is just something that people, that advertisers have to accept, uh, yeah. And, and if that's going to be something that's going to be phased out as well. Well, I think there'll always be a room for that, those sort of banner ads, but again it comes back to relevance right they don't people don't consciously see the ads but they do subconsciously see those ads their eyes flick through they're looking for relevance they're looking for the piece on the page that they really need so in that kind of microsecond or whatever it is their eye is seeing that and their brain's deciding not relevant not relevant not relevant right through the process of being on loads of different websites constantly if the piece in that ad was let's say, for example, a picture of that person's child, right? And it was like, happy birthday, daddy, or something. You can guarantee that person's seeing the ad. So it's not that they're completely unable to see the ad. It's just they've tuned out crap. They're people are professional crap tuner outers because we're forced with so much rubbish. Like it's, it's the equivalent of the go compare thing, right? As soon as the TV ads come, we just reach for our phone and put the TV on mute. It's, it's exactly the same thing. So again, I, I see banner blindness as the same thing as what's triggering people to download ad blockers. It's just poorly targeted and non-relevant ads. If that ad, ad was showing something super relevant, like when it's a good retargeting ad, you get clicks on it, right? I watch my sister and it's, yeah, it's just one person, but I watch her on YouTube and then she sees that there's a little Nike retargeting ad with the shoes that she was just checking out. And she just clicks on it and buys the shoes. And it's like, okay, dude. So that's the perfect model. That's where that's where this thing will get to. And the next question is just, is there enough inventory inventory of retargeting ads that we don't have to see anything that's non-relevant? And I, again, I think we'll get there as CPCs continue to go up, which is the constant pattern that we're seeing. The bar will constantly raise. We will get better at advertising. We'll get better at creating ads that people actually want and we'll get much better at targeting. So again, I think we'll get there. 
Yeah, I, I want to bring it up because I think that it is something that people are uh, concerned about. But I think the answer, like you say, is is 100% just that content needs to be interesting and relevant to those people. And, you know, if it's an ad that people don't hate, then then they don't tune it out because they're interested in it. It's it's content at that point. Yeah, and that's that's the stage that we need to get to. Right, okay, so ne- next question that I want to move on to. Uh, the, I'm going to introduce this in a, in a different way. You've got to tell me what these things have in common, if you can. Okay. <laughs> they are Wanalo, SlideShare, Shots, Elo, Hyper, Bebo, and this. Can okay, you tell so me what those things have in common? I know SlideShare. I know Bebo. And yeah. this is that app that just gives you one piece of news per day, right? Or something, or it just allows people to share one thing per day. Okay. Um, are the, have these all been hailed as the next big social network? That's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. These, these are all social networks that were predicted to become bigger than Facebook in 2016. Lol. Uh, so last year. So as, you, as you're aware, none of them have overtaken Facebook. Um, so yeah, I mean, really the kind of the, the, the serious question is as a business owner, as, as somebody, you know, that, that, you know, sees the value of things like, like Facebook and, and that kind of stuff and, and sees the value of engaging with their, with their, uh, customer base, should we be investing time and money in, in these new social media platforms that are popping up all the time? Should we, should we be setting up accounts on all these platforms or, or is that not something we need to worry about? Do you know Gary V? I don't know. Okay, Gary V's take on this is everybody should go to the app store and download any apps in the top 100 new apps that are like, that are social networks because, and then they should spend some time getting to know them and setting up their profiles and stuff like that. Just in case they become the next big thing. Uh, you know, that that's okay if you're a professional social media person right for the vast majority of the rest of the world it's completely impractical so my recommendation for people and i can see in the notes do you need snapchat for your business exactly the same thing my recommendation is talk to your customers find out where they're spending their time online as soon as your customers start telling you that they're spending their time somewhere that you are not then you need to go and make sure that you have a presence there you don't need to be the first plumber on Snapchat, right? It's completely pointless unless your audience is already there and they're already spending their time there. If they're spending their time there, then yes, you need to be there. But the thing about like, oh, you can't predict what's coming next. I don't think you even need to. All you need to do is make a good job of whatever platform is popular now. You don't need to be on the platform that's going to be big in 2019, right? Because you've got enough work to do on Facebook right now. So just focus on the stuff which is already popular. You will get enough warning that something new is coming and then you've got time to make something good of it. But yeah, I'd just be completely, completely cold and clinical about it because, you know, the, the those seven or whatever social networks that were hailed as the next big thing in 2016, a bunch of idiots went on them and decided that they were going to be the first settler on the island and that they were going to make, you know, build this massive profile in those. And guess what? All of that time was completely wasted. If they'd spent that time getting really good at the things which are already popular, they'd be in a much better position today. So you, you don't need to be the first. You just need to be in amongst the first group, I think. So just 
check out the stuff that's already popular. <laughs> that's my advice. <laughs> it's, it seems a bit of a cop out, doesn't it? That it's just, yeah, just, just go where all the popular kids are. But I think for social media, that there really is the correct attitude because, you know, if just kind of looking at something, I mean, if you just take the numbers, you know, from, from social media platforms, then it just makes perfect sense to be on a popular social media platform. It, you know, if, if you do you want to target your ads on Facebook and, and reach 1.8 million uh, billion people, or do you want to go put your ads on Pinterest and target 150 million people? So, you know, it, is it something like that is just a huge difference. So, so that's kind of the first thing that I would always be thinking. It's just like, well, I want to go where there's a lot of people because otherwise there's no point me setting up my accounts and my advertising budget and everything with this social media platform because they need, yeah, there needs to be people there to view those ads, to view my content. So I think for me, it's, it's about having a, a popular platform. But I don't want to completely say that Pinterest is a terrible idea because at the same time, the other the other point that you raised, you know, it has to be a platform where your customer base are hanging out. So that's that's something which re, which is quite interesting, isn't it? Sort of trying to figure out, you know, is this is this social media platform a waste of time, or or is it actually because it's a lot smaller, or is it you know still a great place for me to be because you know my customers are there. It doesn't matter if everybody if everybody in the world is there as long as my customers are there. Exactly. It doesn't when you're analyzing which social networks you should be on, nothing matters other than how many of my potential customers are there. Doesn't matter what people are saying about how big this thing's going to be. Doesn't matter if people are saying that it's dead or whatever, or if it's, you know, it's going to be the next Facebook. None of that matters at all. The only thing that matters is how many of my potential customers are spending their time there. If there's more than, you know, if there's enough that weren't my attention in that area, then cool. That's where I go. If there's not a lot there, then that's fine. I'm not going to feel guilty because I'm not on Snapchat yet because guess what? My customers aren't spending their time there. They're spending their time on Facebook. That's cool. When my customers are on Snapchat, sweet, I'll go over there and I'll hang out with them. But for now, I'm just going to focus on the stuff which is most likely to generate ROI right now, the next year, not three years ahead. Because you can't build a business hoping that this social network that you've devoted all your time to is going to be the next big thing in two years time. That's like, that's such a high stakes game. And nothing's to say that when, you know, when that network does finally kick off, nothing's to say you're going to be in any better position than someone who's just joined, you know, two months before it took off. You know, you've, you've invested all that time and energy. You've just completely gambled it. So yeah, I just don't think it makes any sense. People just need to be rational about these things and not get caught up in the hype. There's so much hype about social networks. And really just, it's so simple. Are my people there? That's it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the perfect example of that is, um, so I'm, I'm looking at the, a list of the 15 most popular so- social networks. LinkedIn is 12th most popular. So LinkedIn is less popular um, in terms of users than Google, than Flickr, than Tumblr, than Ask.fm. But, you know, if your customers, are, you know, but obviously, as we all know, you know, LinkedIn is a fantastic place to be if you're a B2C business and your customers are hanging out there, then LinkedIn is can do amazing things for your business. Yeah, it's definitely 100% all about, you know, finding your customer base and not finding the most the most amount of people. So we talked a little bit about SEO, about being found on Google. We talked a bit about advertising and being found. And we talked a bit about social media as well. The kind of one area that we haven't really touched on is website design. So obviously, this is a huge, massive, important part of your of any digital marketing strategy. You know, you can get 
all the traffic you want from from the three kind of sources that we mentioned in this podcast episode already. But if your website isn't doing a good job of uh, explaining to those customers, you know what your business is and, and converting them into into customers, then it's it's kind of a waste of time. So, do you think there's kind of any big changes that are going to be coming around in terms of website development and usability and, and that kind of stuff? Yes, it's a really good question. Well, obviously, we've seen the shift to mobile, and that has completely transformed web design and and it's even kind of transformed you know desktop website design because now sites have to be responsive and that brings with it certain kind of criteria which desktop sites have to meet i I think there's a real space like where i'd love to see website design going is getting ai and and more data involved right to me it makes no sense that we've got services like visual website optimizer you know stuff like heat map stuff as well that stuff can see the path that people are taking through a website. If they're on mobile, then you can kind of see where their eyes are going to be looking because they're browsing around and keeping the keeping you know keeping the bit they're looking at roughly in the middle. I, I'd love to see a web platform which adjusts its layout dynamically based on you know user feedback. It handles its own conversion rate optimization, right? So it's running split tests. I, I think. We're way off that. I'd love to build it, but wouldn't really know where to start. So I, I think, yeah, there's there's a big piece there because for me, the, the fact that we're still the fact that we're still designing websites and that there's a human behind that process means that it's flawed. It's the best thing that we've got at the moment, and all we can do is we can figure out what works for people, and we can, you know, we can build that, and we can use experience to say we think that these parts in these positions work really well and based on the data that we've seen you know this this sort of layout works well but i think what's really interesting is testing the things that we don't know that we don't know and letting data do the talking and and i think that'll be that'll be really interesting and, and hopefully someone's going to come out with a big ai play around uh, around like big data and, and uh, layouts because i think there's some serious disruption to be done there yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I mean, like you say, all the, all the, the heat map stuff is is awesome, like, but it, it is a lot of work, obviously, setting up the heat mapping, waiting for enough data to come in, and then, you know, having spending some time kind of analyzing that and trying to figure out what that all means. If you, if you had a website that could just, you know, adjust, you know, some a few elements on the page and see what that what kind of changes that had in terms of are people interacting with with these different elements that I want them to more than, you know, the the, the areas that they were looking at before, or, or has that changed the other way? And, um, you know, are people flowing through the website and actually converting? And if I put it over here, do they convert better? Yeah, if that stuff, like you say, there's no reason why a computer couldn't do that automatically. So I think it would be, yeah, absolutely amazing if, if it could. And I mean, there's also nothing that says that a website should look the same for for two different people either right they could be coming in with different intent they could be they could have different user patterns they could have different user behaviors so some people might like to skip through websites really quickly in which case why are we showing them loads of body copy why don't we just show them the bullet points or the headlines and give them the bare minimum information so that they can make a decision quickly yeah i mean just something like a a new customer versus a returning customer like if you already know that somebody's seen your website once already do you need to show them the same introduction yeah so i think there's a yeah i mean there are so many different angles on this aren't there i mean 
if you come into a business looking for one type of service and you land on that particular service page and then you go to the about us page well maybe you'd want to tailor the about us page to to feature that service and and talk about why this business is in a good shape to to offer that service so I think yeah that there's a there's certain arguments be made for actually not having one standard website layout and maybe infinite variations of a website based on people's characteristics, behaviors, preferences and and intent I think really but I I I can't see anything out there that that serves that sort of need really it's just at the moment everything is completely static and the best that we can do is try to arrange the website to look good on the on the particular device category they might be using and then and then that's it I mean why maybe we want to show a different website for iPhone users and Android users because they have different preferences or you know whatever I think there's so much here that we don't yet know so it feels like websites at the moment are very um we're doing the best with a very limited set of tools, really. Yeah, no, I, I think the idea, the idea of not just a, a responsive design in the, in the sense that it, you know, it resizes and, and for your screen, the idea of a responsive design that reacts to, to what you as a user are interested in and what you're doing, that's, yeah, really, really, really interesting, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like true responsiveness, isn't it? Oh, so I see that you only spend five seconds on each page. Cool. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to bother showing you all this other rubbish. I'm not going to show you this massive picture. I'm just going to give you the five second version of this next page that you've clicked on because you've clearly shown to me that that's your preference. So, hey, (laughs) I know what you want. You know what you want. I'm just going to give it to you. Like, surely that'd be better. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. No, I think that's that's a really interesting idea. I mean, I guess there's kind of a few elements where this does happen already because like you say, you do have sites that obviously are different on mobile and desktop and you have websites that are in local currencies so they'll change their currency based on on where somebody's visiting from but yeah there's there's so many more options isn't there what about you know um websites that are different for age category or for gender or for like you say for attention span like there's a lot of different ways in which you could change that content um that would make it more appealing so yeah, age category is a great one because if you're serving all sorts of ages and you've got images on your site, well, if you've got images of people, then people that don't fit the demographic of the the people in the images are going to be slightly turned off, right? You're going to see a conversion dip if you're showing young people and the people who are visiting the site are old. So why not show people which reflect your not only the age groups of your visitors, but their you know, the exact demographic, the age, the the gender, the race, you know, <laughs> all of it. I mean, better, why not just show the the person who's visiting, you know, you maybe they're, they're logged in with Facebook, grab their profile picture, show them wearing the clothes well, as soon as they visit the e-commerce product page, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first website that does that is going to have a, a huge newspaper article about it and everyone's going to say, this is the end of the world, this is terrible. Oh, and man, then, the privacy bores are going to be all over that one, aren't they? <laughs> and then once people get used to it, people are going to love it. The people are going to go on a website and it's going to be like, why isn't there a picture of me wearing this app with this top? I want to know what it looks like. Yeah, and you're not going to complain about seeing retargeting ads if the people in the retargeting ads are you and you're already wearing the Nike shoes, right? You're going to love that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So I think I think another technology that we need to talk about is voice search and how that's going to change interacting with a website. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of different kind of voice options out there. You've got Alexa with uh, with Amazon, you've got Siri, and you've got uh, Google Assistant. I mean, I, th- I think, yeah, obviously at the moment, you can search and you can Google for stuff. And then getting over to the website is basically where that stops. I mean, do you think there's going to be integration for that kind of stuff? 
Yeah, I honestly don't know. I mean, voice search, I think, could go either way. At the moment, the results are patchy at best, aren't they? And there's been a lot of coverage about, I was watching a demo the other day where someone had their Alexa set up and it was on BBC Click and they had Alexa set up and they had an answer phone next to it and someone called the answer phone and left a message, but remembered that they had Alexa set up. So the answer phone message person said, Alexa, turn on the lights, turn on the microwave. <laughs> and of course, Alexa just, you know, blindly obeys. So I, th- I think there's still a lot to be done with with these voice AI kind of helpers. Um, and then where voice search comes in, I think it could be really interesting. I mean, obviously, Google's been adding these position zeros to search results. And that's that's kind of cool. And it's giving information and means that people don't have to really necessarily click through to the website to see the to see the search results. But with voice, the downside of those position zeros is that there is no position one, right? It's just the position zero. You only get one search result, which which raises the stakes for SEO, obviously, but from a user's perspective, doesn't necessarily give the, the best experience. So I think it'll be interesting to see how the voice search platforms deal with search results where the user wants to browse a, a bunch of different results rather than just being served up one exact thing. For example, if you're like, hey, Siri, find me a new coat, you know, Siri's going to have to have really excellent data to give me the coat I want. It's going to need, like, ideally, it would show me a bunch of different options. And then all we've basically done is we've just had a, we just got a voice bit in the Google search bar, right? So it's just, it's just a different way of inputting that, that data. So actually, there's no difference between voice search and regular search. So I think it'll be interesting. Maybe you could tie something in with VR if we're wearing some kind of VR piece the whole time. But yeah, at the moment, it's just a different input of using a standard search term, I think. So yeah, not sure. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that, like you say, there's a lot more that that you could do with it. Like you say, at the moment, it's it's okay at answering questions, but it doesn't really give you that like research phase, which is which is kind of the next. That so so when people were first, you know, on Google, they would just type in, you know, how big how big is a killer whale or something like that, and it's just like Google can can answer that for you absolutely fine. But then when it's when you're trying to research something, it's a much more difficult kind of problem to give that information via voice in a, in a useful way. So yeah, the, the, the person who figures out how to give that information to you to, um, so that you can actually use that and respond to that is going to definitely have some, some opportunities there, I think, in terms of, in terms of sales and that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely going to have some opportunities, I think, is the understatement of the century. They're going to be freaking minted, but um, <laughs> yeah, I can't, no, no one seems to have cracked it yet. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Especially when you realize how many competitors there are out there. So, you know, you've got Amazon, you've got Apple, you've got Google that are all trying to crack it, that are all interested in it. So, yeah, that that tells you, doesn't it, that there's a lot of potential there. Otherwise, you wouldn't see quite so many huge, huge players in the market that are all trying to get this thing done. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, the, the sad thing is at the moment, Siri, Alexa, hey, Google, they're all basically rubbish, aren't they? I mean, they're they're kind of cute and they can do a bit of stuff, but basically they're so, so primitive in, in what they can actually do. And, you know, it's, oh yeah, you're driving and it's really easy to do everything. Well, no, it's not because you're not saying, hey Siri, send my wife a text. And then it gets the text wrong like five times and you're kind of, you know, just like, oh, do, do you know what? Just forget it. <laughs> I'm just going to yeah. send a voice message. It can't even do 
like the most basic thing which it's trying to do. So I don't know. I, I, I Someone's got to crack it, right? But maybe the AI piece just isn't there yet. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose the AI is maybe going to be a bit easier. So so yeah, we, uh, I guess our prediction is that we might have responsive websites, but we might not have the voice search to back it up just yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, the, the last thing that we wanted to talk about then before we wrap up, so we just wanted to talk about VR and the potential for, for marketing there. I think this is really, really exciting and, and I know you do as well. So the, the idea that you can you know, really experience whatever it is that, that people are sort of showcasing for you in a, in a VR location, I think there's huge potential there for convincing somebody for, to, to, to purchase this product and that kind of thing if they can actually experience that product. So yeah, do you, do you think that's going to be a big thing? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, feel like, I feel like people don't really, aren't really giving VR the amount of credit it deserves in terms of the transformational impact it could have. Like, I know you, you're, you're a fan of the HTC Vive, aren't you? And, and, and um, me, me too. It's just, yeah, awesome. It, it, you, you watch people using it and you see that they are reacting as if it was the real world. So, okay, right, their brain is basically treating this as if it's real. And then it has, there are all sorts of interesting questions about, you know, people get addicted to computer games in a 2D plane, right? People get addicted to stuff like Second Life. Well, imagine your real Second Life. So in your real Second Life, you've got the job that you want, you've got the car that you want, you've got the personal relationships that you want, you've got everything that you could possibly want. It's fully immersive and your brain believes it's real. What's going to be so compelling to get you out of that world, right? If you can sustain yourself in that world, why would you ever want to come out? Why would you ever want to leave the VR world? So, you know, people complain about, oh, kids these days are always on their phones. Mate, we're going to look back on this and be like, wow, remember, remember the days when kids weren't always in VR? They're going to, we're going to lose people. We're going to lose massive sectors of society, I think, to VR. And uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I just think it's really interesting. And I don't think that most people give it the attention it, it deserves because it's so immersive. The potential is so massive. And what it will do for marketing and business is really interesting because you make a really interesting point about if you can actually experience the product. So I guess from an e-commerce perspective, you're in the changing room, you're looking at yourself wearing the clothing, or you know, you're know you looking around your house and you're seeing the sofa actually in the house. Well, that's interesting. That's going to increase conversion rates for people who are able to, to utilize that. The next stage beyond that is, well, if you can see the sofa in your virtual house, which is where you spend all your time, why do you even need the sofa in your real house? All you need is a nice comfy chair for your VR and then you're sorted. So uh, <laughs> that's the kind of darker, sinister area, which I could see it potentially going. I think I just think I think it's so big. I think it's bigger than anything else that we've ever seen because it's it's a completely alternative reality, which is completely believable. And I can't think of you know, the internet is the closest we've had. And look what's look at the impact that the internet's had on us. So the fact that we could actually fool ourselves into thinking that this is our real life, everyday existence is just so big. It just blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, it, yeah, it'd be amazing. Um, I'm probably one of those people that is going to get lost in it. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, See me too. Later. I can't wait. Like, I, you know, everyone's going to say, oh, this is bad. You know, the kids should be out there frolicking in the fields and stuff like they say about stuff today. And I just think, well, you know, what's the what's the meaning of life, right? The meaning of life is is happiness and fulfillment and making an impact with, on others. So 
hey, maybe we can just do that more effectively in VR. So what's necessarily the bad thing about spending all your time in it? I think, yeah, whatever, just people do what they want, go for it. Yeah. And then people like us will just figure out how to help companies make money from it. But there's going to be a hell of a lot of money made from it, that's for sure. You know, in one thing that, that's just occurred to me. So we've talked a couple of times on, on previous podcast episodes about the the conversion effects that um, having images on your product pages can have and then having video on those product pages can have. Can you imagine the conversion effect that you would have if you could put on your virtual reality headset and you could physically pick up that product, you could turn it over, you could inspect it from each angle, you could, you know, look and look at it and see, you know, how how does this product look uh when i hold it that kind of thing um yeah the conversion rate on that is going to be through the roof so yeah i mean if the product's good right i guess we're going to get to a stage where you can't really hide all that much yeah i was uh just been looking at houses and stuff and uh, noticing now that you can do virtual tours through the houses and it's a really useful thing rather than an estate agent having to turn up and show 15 people around a house on a saturday morning well, now like 300,000 people could check out this house in two hours yeah. through going through a virtual tour. It's infinitely better because you can do it yourself from where you're at. You could, you know, oh, we've been to see five houses. No, we've been to see 2000 houses, right? Because we've just done it on our phone or we've done it on our VR or whatever. So yeah, it just, it completely blows everything. You know, everything is expanded. The possibilities are so endless compared to the restrictive 2D text-based world that we're in now. It's it's shocking. <laughs> I mean, companies are starting to do some of this stuff in terms of VR experiences for marketing. So, I mean, there's a there's a VR experience that you can take of a test drive of a of a Volvo car. But I don't really, I don't really know much about cars. It's a XC90 SUV. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can you can test drive that in VR. You can experience what it's like to be sitting in in the driver's seat of that car. Yeah, I can imagine that that opens up a, a lot of people that you know are going to be able to test drive that car that never would have before and there's got to be some sales potential there yeah so the conversion rate you know the conversion goals of the website and the conversion goals of that business whether or not there's even a website by that stage they're, they're completely different aren't they it's all about getting people to try experiences and, and getting people in and getting people feeling it and well, it's quite interesting isn't it because i mean with with that this experience um, for for test driving a Volvo car. I mean, this is a, a luxury car that's expensive, and I would imagine that previously they've had the problem that in terms of lead generation, you know, the, the amount of people that are interested in the test drive uh, far outstrips the amount of you know people that, uh, test drives that they can actually offer. They can't offer them to everybody, so they have to you know do some work in order to ignore the people that are, you know, a low quality leads. They have to avoid those people and try and think up ways to, to, to not offer them test drives because they know they're not going to purchase. Whereas with a virtual reality system, there's no, there's no limit to the amount of test drives they can offer. They can, like you say, 300,000 people in two hours can experience the same thing at the same time. So they don't have that, that lead generation problem anymore. They don't have any issues with that, they can give people the experience and then people can make up their mind afterwards. So yeah, it's, it's crazy the potential that, that that has really in terms of just just lead generation is, is amazing. I can't wait. I actually can't wait. It's going to be so much fun getting to know all these new toys. It's just going to be, yeah, so, I can't wait. So this, this new house that you're looking to buy, I, I take it you're looking to get a, a VR room in, in the house, right? For your HTC Vive? 
Uh, there will only be one room. Why would you ever need any other rooms? There will be a feeding tube which comes in from one wall and sustains us. The food is automatically ordered. We spend our entire lives in this VR room. There's no need to go anywhere else. It doesn't need any view. It's just going to be a concrete box <laughs> protected no against nuclear holocaust. Electricity, Wi-Fi, that's it. <laughs> nice. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's it for this week's episode of the Exposure Ninja podcast. Um, it's been a bit different to most of the most of our podcast episodes. If you have liked it, if you've enjoyed this episode, then please do leave us a review. Send us, give us some feedback on Facebook because we'd love to know what you think. Yeah, if, if people enjoy it, then uh, we might do some more of these types of things. If you want us to just give you marketing uh, knowledge that you can you can start using for your business straight away, then um, the then uh, we'll focus more on that. And if you didn't enjoy it, then go and leave us a review on iTunes. This is the Social Media Examiner podcast. (laughs) Uh, I I think we'd have to edit that out. Um, We can't say that. That's horrible. (laughs) Don't edit it out, Riley. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then the last thing, obviously, if you're interested in Exposure Ninja, how Exposure Ninja can help your business, then please go over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review and uh, we'll do a marketing review of your business for you. Thank you.